You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This to me is like the really fascinating material. We don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The story slowly Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind boggling. We can't just believe that it was the work of these individuals. It's uh, it's been a long time coming to get you on. I. Are you sorry? Did you record? Yeah, we're rolling. We're rolling. Yeah, so like I remember hearing you on World of the Unexplained back in the day. Dear Lord, that has been forever. Yeah, that was one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah, it it was. Uh, that was the. Uh, I think that might have been the first podcast I was on. We uh, they had me on quite a quite a few times. It was it was a ball. I'm still in contact with uh, with uh, with the main guy. Yeah, Jay Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's a great he's a great dude. I uh, I went to for about four years ago and hung out with him in uh, in North Carolina. He keeps inviting me to, and I just haven't made it there yet. Yeah, one day we'll all have to get over there or something. Yeah, I mean he's uh, he, he's told me about all the great breweries uh, where he lives. That's that's that that's really really pulling at me. Yeah, we got a lot of them here in Nashville too. Apparently. As I've been told, we got we got axe throwing rooms. We're about to have an axe throwing room. Yeah, we, we got inside information on that. Mm-hmm. Pretty, uh, Rob's pretty excited about that. Oh, I'm so excited! <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to point out that this is the first time all three of us have been here since episode 250. Yes, is it really? Yes, because we wow. didn't have we didn't have Seraphiel for two episodes, and then the, the next two we didn't have you. Now here we are. Well, you didn't miss any though. I didn't miss any. So that's no, what matters. No. No. So um we have already started. So welcome to Conspiracy Normal, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I just uh we'll get started just talking about kind of like your background, like what you got you interested in all this weird kind of stuff and like what some of your other books have been about. Well, I, I was, I was a weird kid. 
<laughs> I've been interested in this for a long time. I I was was more interested in watching uh, reruns of you know, Lost in Space and Star Trek than I was watching uh, Mister Rogers' Neighborhoods. So. Yeah, give me a good Godzilla movie anytime over over Sesame Street too. I didn't I didn't pay too much attention to any of that. Um, I, what got me into the paranormal to begin with, uh, other than you know being being the weird kid, was uh, I, I saw a full bodied apparition in my house when I was about eight eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walked out of um, walked out of my bedroom and. Uh, well, it was walking into a hallway to pick up a book. It was probably the, an encyclopedia on, on dinosaurs or something. And there was a little boy in the hallway who definitely shouldn't have been there. And, you know, I could see everything about him. You know, he, uh, blue flannel shirt, blue jeans, uh, brown, unkempt hair. And um, he was staring at me. And, and the, the weird thing I noticed other than him trespassing was the fact that I could see the bookshelf through him. And I just turned around and walked back into my bedroom and shut the door. I uh, never saw that again. But that kind of got me in in, 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 a, in a paranormal frame of mind. Trying to, I, I always wanted to figure out what that was. I saw. Was there any? What was the history of the house? Was there any kind of like hauntings in the house, or just was that just a one-time thing? Well, you know, I'd always heard things. The, the, the house. Um, when I was a kid, it was about 120 years old, um, which means yeah. now it's probably about you know 400. Um, <laughs> but it, it would have been a two-room country schoolhouse, um, had two cl- big classrooms, and uh, when schools consolidated in my state, uh, little country schools got closed down, and, and my grandparents, uh, whom my grandmother uh, taught in that school. Um, had it turned into a three-bedroom house. And uh, so, I mean, the only, uh, they didn't have any problems. Um, Again, I heard things. um, I talked with my sisters when we were adults. They never heard anything. But I talked with people who moved in uh, many years after after I'd moved out. And uh, they said, dude, this house is haunted. (laughs) So I'm really not sure why. Uh, I don't think anybody ever died there, but, but who knows? Right. Yeah. No. Nobody did any kind of real like research on it to see. You just kind well, of assume a house that old that it's. It's, a, it's something happened. to it. Something to it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, there's two things. One is that ghosts uh, aren't fixed in any place, any one place. They can move wherever they want to. I don't know. Maybe the, this, this kid died and he just really liked school. <laughs> maybe that's why he hung around. Yeah. Uh, or, or his body could be buried in the basement. Hell, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that that's kind of comforting to think about, right? Not, yeah. not, not freaky at all. <laughs> well, and I, and I didn't, cause people have, have asked me about this, you know, Jason, why didn't you research it? And I didn't want to know who the kid was. Yeah, I mean, it, it was way too personal for me, and I didn't want, I didn't want to know. I even, I'd interviewed a, a psychic named uh, Joyce Morgan. Um, this was years before I, I'd had in, any of my paranormal books published, uh, so she had no idea who I was when I cold called her, and we were just talking, and I and she said, "Oh, you saw a ghost when you were a child," and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I did." One, I've always thought psychics were. Just they, they were bunk. I always thought it was complete bunk. But then this woman described exactly what I saw, 
And she was the one who brought it up. And she goes, I can tell you his name. And I'm like, nope, I don't want to know. Don't want to know at all. Hmm. It's interesting your reaction to it as well, that you just kind of walked away and just went back in your room and you didn't like run out of the house screaming, which I think is what a lot of people think would happen if you see a ghost. And you know, you would think that. And I've interviewed so many people who've told me that they saw a shadow person or what they thought was a demonic entity or was a ghost in their room when they were laying in bed. And all they did was pull the covers over their head until they went to sleep. Just a vast amount of people do that. And that always, you know, struck me as odd in one way, but I kind of did that too when I walked into my bedroom and shut the door. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've had that experience too, where you see something and you just fall back to bed, fall back asleep. Yeah. It's, very, it's, it, it's not what people would, the, the way people react to this is not the way people would think that we get from like popular culture. Right. I mean, and this is this is also, um, if I can bring Bigfoot into this, of course, I'll go ahead and do it. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. people are always, you know, your skeptics are, are always saying, well, you know, if there's so many Bigfoot out there and there's so many people see Bigfoot all the time, how come there aren't any good pictures of Bigfoot? And, you know, I think of pulling, pulling the, the, the covers over my head or walking back in my room. I think a lot of people who encounter the unknown – do that. They're like not thinking of capturing this for posterity's sake. They're thinking of, you know, getting out of there, getting away from this unknown thing that, uh, you know, that, that, that they're encountering. And I just think that's completely normal and it doesn't bother me a bit. Uh, because if I were out in the woods and a nine foot tall, uh, stinking, uh, hairy, hairy creature, you know, was 20 feet away. I mean, the last thing I would think of doing is pulling out my phone and taking a picture. You know, I'd be turning around and leaving. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that for sure. And, you know, since we're on the subject, we I had written down, we talk a little bit about the Gimlin film. Do you got any thoughts on that? This, is, of course, is the famous Bigfoot, uh, the Patty, as they call it. The yeah, the Patterson-Gimlin film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the uh, Yeah, I, I sure do. Um uh, I'm sorry, my four-year-old just came down here asking me a question. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, honey, go upstairs. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> She's not listening. Uh, all right, so this is going to be a fun interview. Um, well, the Patterson-Gimlin film, I mean, the, I saw it when, um, God, when was the first time I saw it? It might have been on In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, um, which is something else I was fixated on. I loved that show. But... At the time that this thing was shot, there are a couple, a couple of there's some problems with it. The main problem is that Patterson, uh, Roger Patterson, said to his buddy Bob Gimlin, "I want to go take take a movie of a Bigfoot," and he went out and rented a camera, and they took horses, and they went to this spot where Bigfoot had been allegedly seen before. And wow, lo and behold, they find one. And they happened to capture on this rented camera that I don't think Patterson ever returned. I think I heard Bob Gimlin say that once uh, on an interview. But he had this camera that he probably, I don't know if he knew how to use it that well, but he sure got, uh, sure got a picture of, of, of something walking through this dry, dry creek bed just casually. And it turn, turns around and looks 
and then keeps going. Now, what are the chances of this guy who was also kind of a kind of a trickster guy, um, mm-hmm. you know, looking for the next big uh, next big score? What's the you know this is my new scheme to get to to, to make money? Now, what are the chances of him? Renting a camera, and this day he went up to <laughs> went up to uh, uh, was it Bluff Creek? What are the chances of him actually stumbling on a Bigfoot? But it happened. Now putting that on one side, on the other side, good God, they couldn't have produced that. No, it, that I don't think could not could have been faked in what was it, 67, 68, 67, I think. There's no way that could have been faked for a number of reasons. One, the best makeup they had at that point, um, or costumes, was was what they had in the 1968 Planet of the Apes film with with uh, you know Charlton Heston and Ronnie McDowell, and you know they didn't look like apes really, but they still looked pretty good. Yeah, but you just look like people dressed as apes. Yeah, that had an ape. Yeah, ape head. That's what they looked like. But this was an entire body. Um, you know, watching TV shows and and you know cheesy movies that had gorillas in them at that time, you know the suits were terrible. This suit, one, it was really good. Two, or really well done. And 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 two, you can see muscle definition, muscles moving in the legs as it walks. That's not faked. And then, why would these two guys have picked a female Bigfoot to fake? Yeah, yeah. That wouldn't, you know, if I were faking a Bigfoot, that would not occur to me whatsoever. It'd be a guy. So on 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 one hand, it seems unlikely that these guys, you know, would be able to find a Bigfoot and and get good footage of it. But also on the other hand, man, I really think that's Bigfoot footage. Yeah, th- those are the points that leave me really torn as far as the the Patterson Gimlin film because he did prior to this, have a budget for a film involving something very similar. Like, ha- had it all laid out and stuff. And then he happened to supposedly capture this this natural footage, which it's it's so hard for me to believe, but the video itself, the points that you're making there, like, it's so hard. It would it'd be so nearly impossible at that time to to produce something like that as well. So... I'm still, I'm still so I'm going to be on the fence with this one for probably the rest of my life, but yeah. yeah but well, just think about you know uh, it's, it's, of, it's of the creatures, gate of the creature, the gate of the creature, and and the way, um, the way it moves over the, um, the obstacles and stuff on the ground that 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 sell me most on this being authentic. I think. Right. I mean, people don't walk like that thing was walking. Right. The way it the way it moved its eggs, their legs, and the and the and the arms, uh, the and, and structure look, it would have to have and stuff like that is is yeah, very gorilla like man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 movies they they were still Ray Harryhausen was still <laughs> was still doing stop motion animation on on monsters. You know that that's where the movie industry was at that point. Mm-hmm. So there was, a, it, there was a guy in North Carolina that said that that was the suit that he made. In at that time, but like, there's just there's just no way. Well, and there's a guy that claims to be the person in the suit too. Yeah, yeah, right. And people, 
You know, people can say, you know, people can say anything. These people are looking for attention. And, you know, uh, Bob Gimlin uh, still gets attention. He's uh, late 80s, early 90s, and he's still going to uh, conventions and, and talking, telling his story. But you really don't make money doing that. I mean, I he's... Did he ever really try to produce anything to make money off of, you know, being one of two guys who, who photographed Bigfoot? I, I don't think so. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So why a book about American monsters? Why this encyclopedia kind of format going through the all 50 states? Well, I had um, – I, I, growing up, uh, I'm from Missouri. Uh, in fact, I, I still live here. Uh, different part of the state, but still in the same state. You know, I hate all the paperwork with, uh, you know, changing your license plate and all that stuff. So probably stuck here for a while. Uh, but when I was a kid, uh, in our local metropolitan newspaper, Kansas City, Missouri, the, their, their paper was the Kansas City Times. And even as, as a kid, as soon as I learned to read, I devoured anything, and I I started reading the newspaper because my parents did, and they had stories about a creature, a tall, hairy creature in Louisiana, Missouri, and there were eyewitness stories. There were uh, footprints they made plaster casts out of. There were hunting parties going out after it. It terrorized some teenage girls. Um, it killed a dog, and you know all this other stuff. And it was a Bigfoot in my home state. And I'm like, wow, this is this is the greatest thing ever. So I would disappear out in the cornfield for hours and tick my mom off pretty good. But uh, I was looking for Bigfoot. Uh, so I've been interested in monsters for quite a while. And, you know, I've, I've researched other monsters in, in my home state and um, have known of monsters in other states. And I just thought, you know, there's got to be more to the to Washington state than than Sasquatch, mm-hmm. yeah. And there, you know, there's got to be more, um, you know, to, to, to Hawaii than the Minnehuni, uh, you know, and you know, various. There's you know, uh, more to Florida than, than just Florida man. So, I uh, <laughs> I started looking, and there were some really cool monsters I had never heard of before in in, in other states. So I I um, put a compendium together, and. I've also, I mean, I've written a couple of, of regional books, and a lot of people have written regional books, which which are fine. They're cool books to read, but, you know, if I'm, you know, living in Kansas or Utah, you know, I don't want to pick up a book about Missouri and read about their monsters. But, you know, hey, look at this. This got Utah monsters. It's got Idaho monsters, Montana, you know, all the, you know, surrounding states. So, yeah, I, I just thought it would be um, – It'd just be nice to put put all that in one one book. Yeah, absolutely. And the the monster you're talking about is that the Momo? Yeah, Momo, the Missouri monster. Yeah, yeah. The um, and you had a couple. Of, we'll start. Let's just start like in your state, your home state. Okay. So we talked about the Momo. Well, can I throw something else yeah. about Momo first? Yeah. Um, it is one type of big. See, this is the thing about Bigfoot. There are so many different varieties just in the United States alone. Yes, you know we've got the the Harry and the Hendersons looking Bigfoot from the Pacific North Northwest. We've got uh, one that looks like an orangutan, the uh, um, Mikalak uh, skunk ape. 
down at down in Florida. There are other ones that look like you know tall, skinny chimps, and then we've got creatures like Momo, uh, the folk monster, which uh, is what. Um, uh, the Legend of Boggy Creek was was based on, and and we've got the uh, Honey Island Swamp Monster down in Louisiana. Those last three I mentioned have three leaf three toed footprints. Well, so I was going to say the three. I think Texas too has like, and they're they're more aggressive. Than, well, than that's because they're Texans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but. There are so many different and and then we don't just have I, I mentioned the Harry and the Hendersons variety, which has got an ape-like face. We've also got uh, a lot of reports of Sasquatch with a human face. It looks more human than it than it does ape. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Native uh, Native Americans have said always said that you know these big hairy men are just another they're just another tribe of humans and. Most all you know, the reports they, are that way too. Uh, if you go back a hundred or two hundred years ago, it was mostly wild men type of reports. Like hair, they were hairy, but they were very human in the face. Yeah, Tim Renner writes a lot about that. Yeah, yeah, and and one thing that's that's you know got me got me curious. Uh, I've been thinking um, actually quite a bit about it the last couple of months. We, we've got those reports. Um, we've got. Um, the uh, God, I can't remember the guy's name. He was, oh, I think he was a prospector in uh, British Columbia and was kidnapped by a by a Bigfoot. You know, back in the thirties. Cannot remember the guy's name, but he was certain he was taken back to the family of Bigfoot, and he was pretty sure that he was, you know, supposed to mate the uh, uh, this Sasquatch who stole him's daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, why why would that have happened if it wouldn't have worked? Um, we've got, um, Dr. Melba Ketchum, who's her Sasquatch project project. Uh, she's, she's had, uh, samples, uh, from, from a Bigfoot, you know, like hair and, 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 uh, other things that she's had DNA analysis done on. And, and the analysis shows that whatever this came from was human. Although there were a couple of anom- anomalies, in, in the DNA sequence, uh, a researcher in, uh, uh, Alberta, same thing. He had some uh, Sasquatch hair and had it uh, analyzed, and it came back as being human, but with uh, some anomalies. Uh, a researcher in uh, in England, a college professor, you know, had the same thing. There's uh, a Russian, uh, an Alma. He had some hair from, and it came back as human with some anom- anomalies. So I'm, I'm, you know, in this, people will say, okay, then it was just contaminated or you know it's coming from people you know i'm wondering if that really was bigfoot hair bigfoot scat bigfoot blood and they're just human enough to where the dna comes out out you know as human i think it's entirely possible i've said this before that there could be some kind of subspecies of human that just managed to maybe like the Neanderthal, maybe there's a remnant that survived somehow. I think that's entirely possible to to have happened. I don't think it's with, I don't think that's without the realm of reason, you know? And and I I agree. I agree. I'm more leaning on, on that side than I am Bigfoot being a, being an ape, uh, mainly because of the feet. It's got human feet. Why would it have human feet? If it's if it's if it's an ape. Well, when you get to the three-toed stuff, though, that's that's getting a little weirder. 
Right, right. Yeah. It sure is. Well, but again, I mean, there are. Uh, I mean, how how many humans look different? You know, if you yeah. take. Uh, you know, uh, you know, somebody, you know, a, a short woman and a really tall, hairy man, and you know, show them to somebody who's, you know, to an alien that's never seen humans before. Would they think that they were the same species? I, I don't know. You know, so that much very, you know, we got a lot of variation in in humans. So, you know, why not? And why not in Sasquatch? Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, if if the big if if Sasquatch exists, then. If they're spread out in like kind of like these populations that are isolated from each other, then that's entirely possible. But then you got to ask yourself, what are we actually dealing with? The whole physical and spiritual Bigfoot, you know, the interdimensional Bigfoot. That's some. Then it, then stuff gets really weird, <laughs> right? And and here's how I, I am on that. I know that is the the popular thing right now is the interdimensional Bigfoot. Um, or the extraterrestrial Bigfoot. And there are a lot of things uh, uh, about Bigfoot that that doesn't logic, that they don't logically add up. Like how can it just something that big just disappear? And I view on that. I spent a lot of time in the woods growing up. And there were many times to where a deer would be within a couple of feet of me. And I would not have noticed if it had noticed it, if it hadn't, you know, gotten scared and ran away, mm-hmm. you know, these things are used to being in the woods, you know, them being able to vanish, you know, might be, not, I don't mean literally vanish, but just blend in with, with their surroundings, you know, that just might be natural. And I also don't like, I'm this way with, with UFOs as well. I'm a nuts and bolts guy. And with Bigfoot, at least right now, I'm, I'm a flesh and blood guy because I, I would like those, if they're not, I would like for those theories to be scientifically discounted before we move on to something like interdimensional. Right. See, and you're touching on on something I think is pretty important to bring up, and that's that a lot of these theories are ways to dodge the how is there a breeding population question. Instead of answering that question, there's um, a lot of people leap to um, a lot more out there theories instead. Right, and we with with those out there theories are unknown, but Bigfoot's unknown, so we're answering an unknown by giving another right. unknown. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Yeah, yeah, and it 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 doesn't add up. So I'm not saying that Bigfoot can't be like uh, you know a uh, an inter- interdimensional creature, but I I, I want to you know disprove the the flesh and blood before I move on to something like that. Yeah, I can hear the I, I hear you on that. Um. I think more than likely, you know, it could be more likely for Bigfoot to be a real thing than than UF than UFOs being something tangible. I, I can definitely see that. Well, uh, with yeah, with Bigfoot, you know, thinking about all of all of the monsters I've read about and I've written about and I've interviewed people who've seen, and I think my bet would have to be on Bigfoot as to you know which one might actually be real. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying it, it's. I'd probably I'd put my money on that. Sure. How, how how do you um get behind like have you have you looked into like uh, just as far as numbers and and statistics go for uh, breeding populations throughout like just say North America as far as food sources uh, what lifespans would have to be how many there would have to be to to keep like 
bloodlines from getting mixed up, that sort of thing. Have you have you researched that at all? Well, I've I've read some on it, uh, and I've heard is upwards of twenty thousand as a as a breeding population to you know really secure you know the bloodline and, and that. Um, actually, at, at at one point. Uh, I read a paper by this has been a number of years ago by a, an anthropologist who said uh, during the uh, during the last ice age the human he speculated the human population was down to two thousand. Yeah. So I mean, if we could come back from that, um, if there could be twenty thousand uh, Bigfoot in North America, I'd say that's plenty. And and when it comes to food, it, it depends on, on on what they're eating. Um, are they strictly herbivores? Are they uh, omnivores? I'm more leaning toward that because there's been a lot of reports of, you know, them chasing down deer. Or there was a one hilarious video of uh, of a Bigfoot picking up a pig and tripping over something and dropping it. Um, I don't know if you saw that one. Or not. <laughs> I haven't seen this. No, I haven't but, heard of this. But um, I, I also read. Um, uh, a guy who's studying again. I'm 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 bad on names right now. Uh, a guy who was studying Bigfoot sightings in in a certain area around uh, it was the, the California area, and in relation to um, the rabbit population, and when the it, it showed that you know the, the rabbits would move but uh, move around and they would um, um, you know the populations would get get smaller and, and larger and when the rabbit population was getting smaller the bigfoot uh, encounter the bigfoot sightings would decrease and then bigfoot sightings would increase where the populations were getting larger so he had speculated that you know maybe you know Bigfoot are you know migratory, and when their uh, you know meat source was thinning out, they moved to some place where it was uh, was bigger and made a big loop and came back when the rabbits had repopulated. I see. Yeah, I've seen other reports like that. I, like I don't have any sources to cite for this at all, but um, uh, where sightings seem to be more dense near water sources. And seasonally, sightings uh, tend to um, be more dense in in warmer times in the north and then in the south, where climate changes. And maybe it's just because people are more out in the wilderness during those times. But it, it, you know, there's there could be a lot of other elements to that as well. But it, it's just interesting, uh, interesting that you would get these clusters of sightings at different times and in different areas and under different conditions. If well, animals. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just that was just wrapping that up. If, if it's actually something that is out there that people are seeing, it's interesting that it it does fluctuate with uh, varying conditions and stuff. Well, and that's what I mean. Animals migrate. You know, when when whenever um, you know their food sources get get slim. You know, we've got birds and and, uh, and you know butterflies, eels, you know, so many different types of animals that that migrate to warmer climates and and a better food source, and then come back when 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 it changes. And you know, as hunter gatherers, we did the same thing. We would go to an area and kill and eat and then when the food sources were running low we'd move someplace else or whenever the weather changed we'd move to where it was uh, was nicer weather where more animals were so you know why not why wouldn't bigfoot right another yes on the yeah i was just gonna say i wonder how many rabbits an adult bigfoot can put down <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I know, you know 800 
a 800 pound creature could probably put down quite a few. Well, I was at the Expedition Bigfoot Museum in Blue Ridge, Georgia on Saturday, and they uh, they had a Bigfoot, a, a Bigfoot turd. So <laughs> if that's any indication. How big was it? It was rather long. <laughs> <laughs> rather long. <laughs> well, the average human colon is six feet, uh, and Bigfoot's got to be a lot bigger than right. that. Yeah. yeah, Bigfoot can Bigfoot can 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 really pack it in there. Uh, <laughs> with uh, so staying in Missouri just for a little bit, uh, he had an interesting story that was only like a paragraph long, but just equally fascinating was the space penguins. Well, and you know, it's penguins are adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, yeah, Very true. Uh, this was this was terrific, uh, man. I, I love this story. I, this is one that I'd never heard of until I started researching Missouri, and I'm like, whoa, green penguins. Um, a farmer named Claude Edwards in 1967. It was Valentine's Day. He was just out out walking his is around his farm, and he noticed a really tall green metallic mushroom sitting in a field. And, oh, yep, you know, I'm going to check that out. So he goes and he sees that it's a, he's not sure what it is except for a green metallic mushroom. And there are three foot tall um, green waddling what looked like penguins. And they had large black eyes. And, you know, I'm really not too sure what I'd do in that situation. I, you know, I'd probably, you know, back away if they hadn't seen me. Uh, you know, definitely get out of there. But but he did something a little bit tougher, a little bit ballsier. Uh, he picked up rocks and threw it at them. And the rocks hit, uh, you know, like a, like a force field and, and, and bounced off. And this got the penguins' attention. You don't want to tick penguins off. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he got the penguins' attention, and all they did was went back, went inside the, the big giant mushroom. Giant mushroom took off in the air and floated away. Um, this one, and this wasn't until, until after the book was published and I was going over it again. I was, I was really wondering about the description of the penguins. And although I was making a joke about them being cuddly, they are cuddly and lovable looking. Um, but it reminded me of, you know, extraterrestrial encounters, gray encounters, because people have reported seeing deer, which are also beautiful creatures yeah. with great big almond-shaped black eyes. And people have reported seeing giant rabbits with black eyes or big owls with yep. black eyes. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, to, to, you know, mentally mask the fact that these are aliens that they're having the encounter with and i'm wondering if that wasn't the same with the penguins you know you know they were um you know just maybe disguising themselves uh telepathically as, as something that, that didn't look aggressive yeah possibly so it, it really sounds like one of those high strangeness episodes that you hear a lot about in ufo lore too the, the, the right. high strangeness factor um the 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 other story that I found interesting from Missouri, uh, th this is very strange. Was the night people? Yeah, this is one of my favorite ones in the book, just because it's weird, and it happened in my hometown. So that's that's even a bonus for me. Um, I got a guy uh, from Oric, Missouri, named Vern Windsor. 
when he was small, around six years old, uh, he'd be told to go to bed. And he didn't want to go to sleep, so he went in his room and he played. And he started noticing that there was activity outside his window. And he would look and just watch. And there were people outside his house. And they'd be walking in and out, in and out of neighborhood homes, uh, mowing the lawn. Uh, kids would be playing. There would be uh, like a young couple pushing a, a stroller with a baby down the, down the, st- the sidewalk. And... Everything looked normal except they had big fish eyes, uh, big bulbous eyes like a fish. And he that didn't really bother him because they were out at night. And he called these people the night people because they were doing all these things outside, like again chatting over the uh, you know over the over the fence to the neighbor and you know mowing yards. Uh, he just figured that these people were the people who, who lived in the houses and did things at night, and. The people he knew, like his family, were the day people. Uh-huh. So he, yeah, I mean, to a six-year-old mind, that makes sense. And he watched them. And uh, one night, one of the uh, one of the night people noticed that he was looking at them. And he'd seen the kids out there playing, and he wanted to go play. And when when the adult night person noticed that Vern was watching him, he just blacked out. And he woke up the next morning lying on the floor and he had a bloody nose. So this also kind of drips of, uh, of alien encounters uh, as well. Very H.P. Lovecraft. A bit. Hey, I'm actually wearing a T-shirt that says Miskatonic University. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like almost like you see, he's seeing into some kind of other dimension almost. It's like what it kind of seems to me. I mean, that's yeah, or, a bizarre there are story. a lot of different explanations you can make out of this, and who knows? <laughs> who knows what it could be? It's just, yeah, it's, it's simply a bizarre story. Have you had any other similar stories that you've come across? No, no, not not. But his, I mean, he he said a couple of years later they'd moved to a to a nearby town, and and he he saw them occasionally. Really? Uh, yeah, but that was it. They they. You know, he didn't see them very much after that. So weird. So weird. So we'll go to Arizona here, where one of our guys is from. Serfiel here is from Arizona. Yes, sir. He um, had a couple that were interesting, but uh, the the dragons are like pterosaur kind of like creatures that people would see. And this is actually something that people see all over the country. Apparently. Well, all over the world, uh, yeah. frankly, yes. Um, uh, this is uh, I, I used the uh, the heading of dragon because then that's what it was called back in um, in eighteen ninety when people when people saw this. There were um, some some cowboys who rode into Tombstone, Arizona, uh, in in eighteen ninety with the skin with a blizzard skin, and they claimed it was a giant flying lizard that they'd killed outside of town. They'd um, chased it uh, and just shot and killed it. They they shot at it and eventually it died. Uh, they call they said it was a dragon, and it measured it was ninety two feet long and it had eighty foot wingspans. Uh, the head was eight foot long and, and pointed. Uh, they said the eyes were the size of dinner plates. And that's an enormous 
creature. <laughs> That's crazy big. Yeah. Uh, there were, um, I'm trying to remember the size of these. There were pterodactyls, I think, had up to 20 to 30 foot wingspan. Uh, one of the varieties, I mean, there were varieties that uh, are yeah, different types that had wingspans of you know 10 inches long. And there were some that were almost, uh, I think, like I said, uh, about 30 feet long. And, and that's pretty enormous, but not nearly as big as what they claimed to have shot in Tombstone. Jeez. But as I said, these things have been seen all over the place. There was a, a case in, in Texas in, in 1977. Three teachers were driving home from an con- educational conference, and there was a shadow that flew over the car. And they pulled over and looked up, and they saw you know, what looked like a pterodactyl flying over, over their car. And it, it just glided and, uh, off into the distance. And, and I really like this one because – Teachers in 1977, um, I think teachers would know what a pterodactyl looked like, you know, and they didn't make enough money to buy Coke. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that what they saw was right. And and these things are seen all over Mexico, uh, New Guinea. Uh, I interviewed a University of Missouri professor, uh, this has been a number of years ago, but he goes to... Um, uh, Africa, where they have the legend of the Kogamatu, which is described as a large flying lizard. It has wings like a bat, a tail that ends um, in uh, in, a, in, a, in a diamond shape. Uh, on the way, the, the hands, claws are on the wings, and it's got a head that with a crest and, and a long pointed beak. And in one of this uh, professor's trips, he took a book with a picture of dinosaurs and they all, you know, the tribesmen pointed out Kogamatu, you know, to the, to the picture of the, uh, of the pterodactyl. So this all also leads to another question. How the hell could they have survived the, uh, the, you know, massive extinction in 65 million years ago? And there are a lot of species that survived. I, our world's a big one. And I, think that these things very well could have uh, could have lived through that well and those were the same creatures that evolved into birds anyway and survived so i don't think it's that big of a stretch as far as survival goes um oh how how do you feel about a lot of people lump those kind of sightings in with the native american thunderbird stuff do you think those are two separate kind of incidents yeah i i certainly do i certainly do i think the thunderbirds are more like teratorns um Teratorns are the largest birds in North America that uh, died out during the uh, the last ice age, the you know Pliocene and Pleistocene era eras, and they were um, basically enormous condors, right. and they had about twenty to twenty five foot wingspan, and they were you know of course I mean big enough to you know to, to pick up large animals and, and take them off and, and, and eat. And uh, they're called Thunderbirds because when they took off, uh, their wing beats sounded like uh, sounded like thunder. Uh, there have been a lot of sightings of those too. Uh, I think it was in Pennsylvania, a 12-year-old boy was picked up by one. Yeah. And he screamed and thrashed enough it, it dropped him. And there's not many years ago, just a, just a few, there was a, a pilot uh, flying a small airplane in uh, in Alaska and saw a bird 
that was the same size as his airplane flying next to him that eventually, you know, glided off in another direction. So, I mean, they're modern day sightings. Who's, who, who says these things can't be around either? Yeah, there's also the Van Meter Visitor, which kind of resembled a pterodactyl-like creature. Uh, yes, yeah, um, it sure did, except for this. I think that's the one that had a spotlight in its head. Yeah, it also had some <laughs> kind of weird sigil on its uh, on its chest. Like I've some never kind heard of about weird... this. Yeah, yeah, this is the Van weird, Meter dude. monster from yeah. Van Meter, Iowa. Yeah, 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 and it uh, you know it was, was terrorizing the town, and uh, people were terrified of it, and, uh, and 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 it was mentioned in in newspapers that the local banker, pastor, and a doctor f- saw it. So you know that all made. You know, <laughs> made it be real. Uh, there was a businessman who shot at it. There was a lawman who shot at it and hit it. And its th- skin was thick enough that the bullets didn't really do anything. So a bunch of people from town got the heaviest guns they could find and chased it. And it disappeared into a, uh, uh, a dead mine. And Eventually, eventually, it came out again along with the second one, and they shot at both of them enough to where uh, they retreated back into the mine, and nobody ever saw them again. we got to talk about, because this is in the Arizona section too, but there's other places. I think Missouri, you have an entry on this, is the giant human skeletons that were found in the, right. in the Indian mounds. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's not. Um, I, I didn't. I mean, I, I did talk about it in in Arizona, but yes, in in Missouri also. Um, there were also uh, it was like you know, Pennsylvania and, and New York. These things were found. Um, were giant human skeletons, eight nine feet tall, uh, six fingers, six toes, two you know double rows of teeth in their mouth, and uh, ones that were found in. Um, uh, in, in Arizona, uh, still had hair and, and the hair was long and red. And this corresponds with native American legends of, uh, these red haired, white skinned, uh, cannibalistic giants that would, uh, would, would prey upon the tribes and, and, uh, you know, eat, eat the children and whoever they could capture. Uh, those, I mean, these stories are widespread and, and supposedly, uh, there are some uh, some skeletons down in uh, in Central America with uh, uh, you know in, in museums, which I find fascinating. If it actually is real, I, I don't know. But I mean, we have had stories of giants forever, yeah. and and it's you know not just the stories here. There's stories on on islands uh out in the out in the pacific there's uh you know stories in uh you know ireland england uh all across europe and of course we've got the biblical giants and uh yeah, all i learned in uh, in sunday school about giants is there was one and his name was goliath but then reading more about it there were entire villages of these things yeah the the yeah the nephilim they talk about that one was like the the Israelites are getting to finally get into uh, the promised land, and they send the two spies in there, and they see that there's these big guys, the big giants, and they're all they're all scared to go in. And two of the two of the spies say, "Well, we we can take them. You know, they're not that big and bad, but they were scared about it." So you have that that written in there. It's like I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm conflicted on that because. 
there, you know, maybe there could have been just like really unusually tall people, and maybe some of those accounts are exaggerated, possibly. Well, and when it comes to history, yeah, I mean, th- things are exaggerated. I mean, yeah. uh, look the 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 skin of the uh, the uh, the dragon in Arizona. That sounds extremely exaggerated. Right, right. Yeah, but back 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 to church. You know, we only got the one giant. I you know, I never wanted to go to Sunday school. My kids don't want to go to Sunday school. But if they would have, you know, had better <laughs> PR, the church, you know what? They could they could call Sunday school, you know, dragon slaying, blood gush gushing story time. Yeah, I would because, love to have gone to that. Because why not? I mean, you know, you got the Philistines in there. You got guys like, you know, uh, toppling pillars and on all kinds on stuff. And, you know, you've got nuclear bombs dropping on the, Sodom and Gomorrah. There's death everywhere. That's right. Yeah. The Bible's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so let's go to Michigan. Yeah. Mr. Rob's home state. And let's talk about the, as I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but the Nain Rouge. Nain you know Rouge. About this, Rob? I've never heard of this. This is um, an, an old uh, Native American legend. Uh, the, the name Rouge was, uh, they didn't call it that. That's the French name. Uh, it, was, uh, it, it was a dwarf, a red dwarf. Oh, I have heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, would, uh, that, that they viewed as a protector. And when the French uh, founded Detroit, the, uh, the, the French guy is Antoine de la Mothe Cadillac. Um, settled to the area. Settled the area in 1701. Uh, he saw the creature, and it had red eyes, rotten teeth, had reddish black fur all over its body. The skin was red, and it didn't didn't kill him, but it but it, it attacked him. And the French that that were in the area referred it to referred to it as a symbol of death. Um, when the French fought fought the English at the uh, Battle of uh, of Bloody Run uh, in 1763, uh, 58 British soldiers were killed. It was so bloody that uh, you know legend has it the creek ran, and the nearby creek ran uh, red for a couple of days afterward. Um, but the name Rouge was seen after that point as being, uh, and because it was dancing among the dead bodies, and it, it was seen as uh, a foreteller of of something evil happening. Uh, it was seen uh, during the uh, War of 1812 um, when people saw it in the uh, 1900s. It was, uh, you know, it brought some kind of death. There was a 12th Street riot in 1967. Uh, the Red Dwarf was seen by a number of people before that. In 1976, utility workers thought they saw a child climbing up a uh, a utility pole, and then. They saw that it was a red dwarf, and there was a huge ice storm that hit right afterward. Uh, it, it hasn't been seen for years, uh, but they have a parade in Detroit and uh, a beer called uh, Detroit Dwarf Lager that's uh, that's dedicated to the uh, Nain Rouge. Yeah, th- there's another story that I heard. I don't remember exactly how it plays out, but there's something about um, this guy who had never heard of this thing was warned to um, – you know, whatever you do, don't don't insult the red dwarf or the, the name Rouge. And he ends up at this some social gathering and runs into this creature, and it's like hideous, and he's like treats it like crap or whatever. And it, you know, his life ends up being destroyed and whatever. He finds financial ruin, and his love leaves him, or, or however the story plays out. But it's something. It was more prophetic in that in that uh, in that story. 
Well, and there's something else that, that I, I kind of ran ran into when I was uh, when I was researching this book. Um, don't mess with little people. There are stories all over the world of people between two and and three feet tall that will you know that are more powerful than humans and will bring a lot of misery. Yeah, this story was very reminiscent of like Celtic lore. Right. Yeah, we've we've got all well all throughout uh, Europe. We've got you know goblins, kobolds, uh, trolls, dwarfs, um, oh, uh, uh, boabeks. I think uh, it's another nerd term for goblin. Uh, in in we've got elves in 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 England and Iceland. We've got um, the the tomtar in. Uh, in, in Sweden, and these things will steal your steal children, replace it with, you know, a changeling. Um, if you're rude to it, it will cause all sorts of, of mischief and, and damage to your life. And the same stories are, are over here in North America as well. Um, we've got uh, on the East Coast the the puckwudgie. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing to me about the puckwudgie and there's uh, the little people of uh, Spirit Mound in South Dakota, and also similar stories in uh, Utah of these two to three feet tall human type creatures that can turn invisible. They shoot poison arrows. Uh, they can start fires. Uh, they will be mischievous if you're nice to them or if you're. You know, mean to them or rude to them, they will lead you through the woods and you know tease you off a cliff or just outright shoot you with a poison arrow. And the stories are the same. <laughs> That's what blows me away. These stories are the same all across North America. How how is that possible? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, it, it's amazing to me just how similar all these stories are and just people have these they see they see these little people and yeah you're right there's also the michigan mermen i haven't heard of that one either yeah right um and i'm not going to be able uh to pronounce the uh the native american names there are a whole lot of vowels (laughs) and consonants that i'm not going to tackle but this was um Around uh, Lake Superior, um, they were these creatures resembled children that had hair cov- covered faces and were also part fish. Um, when French Canadian trappers and fishermen who were coming through the area, uh, they were warned by the uh, local Native Americans not to not, not to have any sort of, of contact with them. Uh, but they did. There was a um, a uh, French Canadian named Saint Germain. Uh, he wasn't a saint; that was his last name, Saint Typhon Germain. And he was camped on on an island, and he saw a creature in the lake that looked like a child. He was about eight years old, and uh, the kid had a dark complexion and a lot of curly hair, and the lower part looked like a fish. And Saint Germain tried to shoot it, and his local uh, Native American guides were like, "No, you don't want to do that." Uh, but later that night, a storm struck the island, uh, and it didn't uh, didn't dis- dissipate for three days. And uh, and the Indians were blaming uh, Saint Germain because uh, you know, he tried to kill it. 
It was funny. I just, I'd never heard of this, so I Googled it. And there's like dozens and dozens of mermaid in Lake Michigan videos that popped up, like drone footage <laughs> and all kinds of craziness. <laughs> See, and this bothers me so much is I would love to be able to trust photography, but I oh, can't. Yeah, totally. But just the fact that there's like a whole bunch of people faking this. I never even heard of this being a thing. Well, one you have probably heard of is the dog man. I have definitely heard of the dog man. I grew up with, they play the song every Halloween. The song? Oh, there's a dog man song. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great, but. I'll have to look that up. I haven't How's heard that go, either. I don't remember. I just remember being a kid and like every Halloween it would come on. My dad would be like, oh yeah, this is real. Listen to the song. So has the dog man been a thing there for a while? Because I only remember really hearing about it, like the Beast of Bray Road stuff. Oh, well, it's, I mean, yeah. it all dates back to, I think, probably the 70s in Wisconsin and Michigan. Yeah. Well, when it comes to the dog man, the first report was in the late 1800s. Uh, I think it was 1887. Uh, and a couple of lumberjacks reported to uh, the local authorities and talked to the newspaper about seeing a a, a uh, a dog that was walking on its hind legs. Uh, a lot of sightings uh, were in uh, the early 1900s and 1928 in Paris, Michigan. A young man named Robert Fortney uh, was charged by a pack of wild dogs. He fortunately had his gun with him and he shot over their head to spook them. And then he did. But there was one black dog that had blue eyes that didn't move. And it just stared him down. And, and Fortney shot again over the, the over the dog's head. And the monster, looking really ticked off, stood up on its back, his, his hind legs. And while he stared Fortney down, uh, it turned and walk, it, it turned to its side and walked into the woods. Mm. Uh, there were reports in the fifties, uh, yeah, seventies, uh, all the way up to the to the two thousands. Now, with, with the Beast of Bray Road in, in Wisconsin, I, yeah, I think uh, those didn't start up until the 70s or maybe early 80s. But, yeah, Linda Godfrey's had done a whole lot of research on that. So what do you think about the dog, man? Do you think this is the real thing? Because it seems like it's been a real popular <laughs> thing lately. Yeah, and, you know, we, we, we get those with, with various uh, cryptids or just entities. Uh, it's the big thing now. And when it comes to Dogman, and, you know, I've, I've read a lot about a lot of a lot of cryptids, and when I think of, of a dog, you know, with humanish, human, humanish legs walking around, it, it seems, you know, pretty silly, but uh, a friend of mine, I've known him for years, and he's really serious about the paranormal and he has never, never yanked my chain about anything. He told me of a dogman encounter in uh, central Missouri. He and uh, a friend like to go to this cemetery out in the middle of nowhere near a small, a small town uh, named Brunswick. And uh, on a rural, rural highway, there's a dirt road, not even gravel. It's dirt that goes off the highway down a hill, up a hill, down another hill, and then up a hill to the cemetery. And I've been to the cemetery, and it's really creepy. It's got a big wooden cross that somebody had set on fire at one point. So it's very inviting. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and this, 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 this guy and, and his friends have 
you know, investigated the cemetery a lot, and they started drawing maps every time they went, and the maps were never the same from time to time. It's like the tombstones and trees were in different places each time they went. And one night, uh, he he and, and one of his friends went, and uh, nothing was happening at the cemetery, so they decided to leave early. It was about 10, 11 o'clock. And it was in the summer, so they had their windows of the, of the pickup rolled down. And they went down a hill and up a hill and down the other one. And now this, this road went through woods, and there was you know a canopy. It was like you were driving through a tunnel. Because the trees joined over over the road, and they got down to the bottom of this the, the second hill, and there was a big dog. It looked like it was eating something in the middle of the middle of the, the dirt road, and they stopped about twenty feet from it, and they could smell wet dog coming through the open windows. And finally, the my, my buddy's friend honked the horn, and the dog looked up, and it had yellow yellow glowing eyes, and it stood up on its hind legs, and stared at them as it walked on its hind legs into the woods and disappeared. And they rolled up their windows and locked their doors and got the hell out of there. But the, the, the point being is, is I know that guy and, and I know he wasn't lying to me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, Tennessee, where we are. Okay. Some interesting things. What about it? all right um i just think it's funny about about tennessee that uh uh the jack daniels distillery uh it's in a dry county yeah Yeah, it is is. Mm -hmm. yeah that's hilarious um well i mean it's got its bigfoot stories there's a tennessee wild man um the flintville monster was a was another uh another one uh, another bigfoot um I, i think this is this is a one source story, but it's it was cool enough that I, I I put it in the book. It was called the White Screamer. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that one. Uh, this was in the in the nineteen twenties uh, near White Bluff, Tennessee. A uh, man built a farm uh, out in the country, and he and his his family of nine uh, were living there. And after they'd moved in, they started hearing this scream, this shriek. You know, out in the woods, and it would of course wake them up. It was so loud. It was it was like the scream of a banshee. And one night, the um, the the father, the husband father, um, he just couldn't take it anymore. So he grabbed his shotgun and left. And he followed the sound. And the shriek led him into the woods, and it led him deeper into the woods, and it led him deeper. And it's you know he was following this kind of crazy path and all of a sudden he realized he was back at his farm and this the screams had changed just a little bit and they were now coming from the house and he ran toward the house and when he got inside the the screams had stopped the last screams were the screams of his family and his entire family was bloody and butchered um, inside his home what was the source you got this from uh, it was from uh, an old newspaper article. I don't. Uh, I don't remember which one, frankly. And where was this in Tennessee? White Bluff. White Bluff. Okay. Huh. That's the see. That's one I I had never heard that story at all. And I grew up in Tennessee, so wow. 
That's not well, too got, far from here. No, it's actually, not. yeah, from where we are, close to Dixon. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound like something I'd want to go hang out and find. <laughs> Don't want to find the 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 white screamer. The white screamer. No, <laughs> but it has a lot of links to like to like the banshee folklore too. Yeah, it, it exactly it does. And and this is something else that I that I really noticed about uh, you know while I was researching this. When we have people moving from one area to another, I mean, mass migration from Europe to here, um, people brought their monsters with them. Right. Um, You know, they just just didn't pack the family heirlooms and, you know, enough food for the trip. They they, they brought their monsters. There's a a banshee story in in South Dakota. And this, this sounds exactly like an Irish banshee. There are stories of, of Tommyknockers, which are um, it, it's a it's a it comes from the legend comes from Cornwall, England. Uh, there are miners that are supposedly the uh, uh, all the all the Jews that were involved in in uh, killing Jesus <laughs> involved in that. Hmm. Uh, their spirits were punished by being uh, you know sent to England and banished in mi- in, in a mine, which doesn't make any sense but anyway that's the legend but the the tommyknockers when cornish miners were hired um, in pennsylvania and california they brought the tommyknockers with them the stories of them uh you know same with werewolves and vampires you know they 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 came over from europe as well so uh did they really come over or is was it just them talking the people talking about these stories that made them come made them come alive I, i've wondered about this a lot because it seems to me that certain monsters or certain entities nobody's ever heard of before but all of a sudden people start talking about it and the thing appears well slender man i think is a perfect case yeah it is a, a perfect case that. Yep. that was the first one i was going to bring up because people have I've, I've, I've read stories and, and heard them on you know call call into like coast to coast and places like that and swear to god that they've encountered the slender man uh there's the same with with black-eyed kids uh brian bethel is a uh, is a journalist he still works in in texas i uh interviewed him once i still have, have contact with him but he's the first guy to write about black-eyed kids and it was like in 1998 he posted it on, on a message board on the internet of an encounter that he had and I mean, I've gotten hundreds of black-eyed kid stories from around the world. You know, are we, just because we're putting so much energy in thinking about these entities, are we, you know, turning them into tulpas? Manifest. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Did you, you did some, did you write a book about the black-eyed kids? At a certain no, point? I, I did not. Um, I wrote a book on shadow people. And I was prepared. I was. I had a uh, an outline written for a book on black-eyed kids, and it was going to be the first one out there. And my wife said, "You know what, Jason? None of the stuff you write about scares me, but they do. Black-eyed kids do. So if you write a book and one of those things comes to my door, it's your ass, Mister." Huh. Yeah, that stuff is pretty freaky, man. I mean, it's. I know. <laughs> I, I, you know, some of it, I just wonder, like, is somebody just making this story up or just, you know, cause you, you, you always got to keep that in mind too, with some of this stuff. But then there's others that I hear where I'm just like, man, that's just, it's just so weird. Belief is a powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you have a favorite black eyed kid story? 
Um, man, I've got a lot of them. Um, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, uh, I talked with a guy, um, he didn't want me to use his real name, so I didn't. I think I called him Brian in the story. I don't remember what his real name is, but uh, he was living in uh, – he, he lives in, in um, Pennsylvania, and he was visiting a buddy in Pittsburgh. And his and his and there was a, uh, uh, you know, a, a drive-in garage, uh, um, a leveled garage uh, next to, to his uh, friend's um, apartment building. So he went and he couldn't find a, a, a decent, um, decent place to park. So he parked on the top and there was a walkway over to his friend's apartment. So he just, he just took that. And it was about one o'clock in the morning when he was like, you know, I really should be getting home. So he went and got in his car. And as he was walking to his car, there were a few lights on, uh, up, up on, up on top. And, uh, he saw a couple of kids in their in their teens in their mid to early teens walking toward him and he said that it really struck me as weird that they were up here but it struck me even weirder that they were wearing um you know a hat and um hats and uh and starter jackets uh if you remember those oh yeah <laughs> from a team that didn't exist any it has it hasn't existed you know since like the 80s or whatever and what in the world, man? And they look brand new. <laughs> what? And retro, man. Retro. Brand new. And and so he got in his car because he got nervous, uh, you know, undoubtedly, and he locked the door. Yeah. And he started the car and, you know, knock, knock, knock on his window. And he looked over and there was one of the kids standing in front of his window. And he rolled it down just, just a bit. And the second kid, who was a little smaller... It was standing a few feet back. Also, he was talking to this to this first kid who might have been 16. And the kid was like, would you please be kind enough to give us a ride home? We seem to be out too late. I and mean, this is one of the things with black-eyed kids is that they talk way more mature than they should. Right, right, yeah. Right, so this guy was talking, and, and, and the guy I talked to said that he just felt scared. It's almost and it identical. wasn't that these kids came out of nowhere. Uh, that was part of it, but it was sort of an unnatural type of fear. That's almost identical and, to Steve Stockton's story that he shared with us. Yeah, yeah, he had a very similar yeah, story. And he, um, yeah, he had he had reached. He even felt himself reaching to to open the to unlock the door. He he was feeling compelled to do that, and all of a sudden he was like, "What the hell am I doing?" And he looked over, and the other kid was around the back of the car, and he said it was like. You know the Velociraptors in <laughs> in the Jurassic Park. It's you know the when, he, you when the Australian hunter, yeah, <laughs> clever girl. Yeah, it was it was like they were animals trying to, you know, he was their prey. He felt like, yeah. And, and you know, he snatched his hand back and he and he looked at the kid. He got a really good look at the at the sixteen year old, and the kid's eyes were just black. No. Uh, no whites, no Irish, nothing, just black. Well, and and what and, better form to take to to prey on our like um, sympathy? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What did a kid? Yeah, yeah. It, exactly, exactly. The uh, I mean, I've had a few few cases where the kids have been like six, seven years old. A six, seven year old girl shows up on your doorstep and says, "I'm lost. Would you let me in?" Well, that's I mean your initial reaction is to to help the kid. But but anyway, this um yeah, this guy he just he 
popped it in reverse. Uh, the kid jumped from you know the back of the car, so he didn't run over him, and he just he took off, winding down, down, down this uh, parking garage, scared to death that these kids would be waiting for him down there, but they weren't. So he got out of there, and he he drove to the next stoplight, and it was red, so he stopped, and he was trying to catch his breath, and he looked over to the right, and on the corner there were these two kids. So he ran the light. And ran the next few lights he could run until he got to the highway and just sped home. He was terrified that he was going to see these things again, but uh, he didn't that night. It's like there's some kind of predator or something, and they're very, they're very much like vampires. It's you know all the vampire lore kind of stuff. Just you, you repackaged. Know the, the scariest part of all this is that I've never heard a story where somebody helps the kids. Not once. Not once have I heard a story where someone lets them in the car. Yeah. You know why? Because well, those, those people don't exist anymore. That's why. There actually you know, is a story where one was in the car, invited ugh. in by the kid. And the, have you heard this one, Jason? I think no, Weatherly I talked about this in his book. Where, See, he's the guy who wrote the book. And I am so yeah. happy David Let- Weatherly did because I wasn't <laughs> giving myself pressure to do it and piss my wife off. Well, okay. <laughs> so they're at him. a gas station and this the, 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 the mother runs in to get something and she comes back into the car and then there's this little boy sitting in there with her child. And Jesus. she looks over and sees the kid with, with black <laughs> eye, with, with like black eyes. And the, the, she asks, why is this kid in here? And, the, and her child says, well, because I invited him in, mom. And then, like, the kid disappears. And so she looks around for him. And so and then on the way home, she gets into some kind of, like, car accident or something, uh, something like that. Or, like, her husband is going to meet her some. No, that's right. She calls her husband. And she cannot leave the. She's too freaked out to leave. She calls him to come get her, and he ends up having an accident on the way over there. Hurts himself really bad, and then the kid, their little kid, gets sick. And yeah, I think Motherly talks about that in the book. That's like, what I'm saying. You don't hear the stories where they invite him in. Yeah, but that's yeah. one where they they did get invited in, just not by the person that. Yeah, there's like a, there's like a, so there's this whole sickness aspect to them. And then, you know, um, it is very vampiric, the inv- invitation. Yeah. And David Jacobs, you know, Nick Redfern drew a kind of a parallel between the stuff that David Jacobs writes about the alien human hybrids and how they're supposedly, uh, you know, trying to infiltrate humanity. And some of this stuff in there is very similar to what people report the black eyed kids doing, like wearing the outdated clothing, speaking in a very kind of archaic way. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I forwarded some information to Nick. I don't know if he's, if he's done anything. I don't think he's done anything with it yet, but um, man, that guy's, the most prolific writer yeah, of our know, age. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I forwarded him some stuff that when, when I was, and this is, this is the one reason uh, other than making my wife mad that I decided not to pursue a book because I got contacted by a guy who called himself Dracos. Okay. Whatever guy. And then he started <laughs> telling me that, you know, I'm, a black-eyed person. I'm an adult. I'm a black-eyed person. And they, there are other black-eyed people. We can look exactly like you. We live among you. Uh, we're just waiting for the dragon to come into the world. I'm like, the dragon? He said, Satan. 
I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and then he went on to explain to me that um, the black-eyed kids are, he said, your people are descendants of Adam and Eve. My people are descendants of the serpent. Okay. I am not talking to you anymore. Wow. <laughs> but again, I sent I sent all my emails that I got and my transcripts and my conver- phone conversations with, with him. And uh, uh, hopefully Nick does something on it and, and survives. <laughs> <laughs> He's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. <laughs> well, I think maybe the, the story that I kind of want to end on, that I want to end on here is a story where the black eyed kid did not achieve his final form. And that is the giant cockroach story. This by far <laughs> is the most bizarre story in the book. Yeah. And this lady was so serious about this. She was, was traveling, um, from, from Las Vegas, from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. This was back in the 1990s. And she stopped in, uh, a small town at motel for the night. And she was sitting in her room watching VH1 and there was a knock on the door. And she went to the door and she pulled it open. She had the chain on. So she pulled it open just a little bit. And there was a voice that said, uh, you know, ask, would you like some, uh, or would you like some new bed linen? And she couldn't really see who was who was you know in the hallway because it was it was dark. Um, and then all of a sudden it kind of turned, it shifted its body a little bit, and the light that was behind it now went on its face, and it was a cockroach. It was a six foot tall cockroach, and she said it, it had turned its head because you know how bugs do that cleaning its front legs thing. <laughs> It was rubbing its legs together, and she screamed and and slammed the door. Uh, it was, was a salesman, was, huh? It was a salesman cockroach. It, yes, it was a salesman cockroach. She had vacuum vacuum cleaners, <laughs> um, but she screamed, and and the thing was asking her why she was screaming from the other side of the door, <laughs> and she couldn't. It, it, she didn't have a door to the outside. So what she did, and she literally told me that I remembered watching a Chuck Norris movie. Excellent. So she threw the door open, fell down, and kicked its legs out from under it. <laughs> and when when she got she she got up and jumped over it and ran down the hallway and was it saw, was it laying there wiggling with its arm <laughs> with its legs yeah. in the air? <laughs> She didn't. It she was, didn't say because she didn't look back. It was Gregor Samsa, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but she 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 started running and she saw a, uh, a hotel or a hotel employee laying on the ground unconscious. Didn't know if this person was dead or not. And she was running, and all of a sudden she heard the thundering of this huge insect running behind her. And she got to the door, and and the thing grabbed her. It grabbed her, her grabbed grabbed her uh, grabbed her wrist, and you know uh, insects, you know the 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 leg was all all you know jagged and 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 it hurt, and she 
had got, just gotten to the door and she was able to get open the, to get to get the door open and slam it and pinched one of its one of its antenna off and she kicked it it released her at that point and she started running out into the running out into the parking lot and fortunately there was a cop across the street and when she was telling the cop what happened he was like uh-huh yes Okay, and she turned around and looked, and she said her and the cop both saw that cockroach and about three others run over a hill and disappear. What in the hell? (laughs) It kind of reminds me a little bit of that X-Files episode, you know, where the guy's working in the call center, and he's got the... uh there's that uh, his he thinks his boss is a giant cockroach yeah, that's trying to eat yeah. people. You, do you remember that one? I remember that. Jeez, I'm, I'm trying to think. The, yeah. the only one with bugs is the one with uh, with Mulder was was hitting. We he got drunk and hit on the blonde girl. Well, this is this is like this this guy like holds everybody hostage in this call center because he thinks that. Uh, his boss is a large cockroach and he's draining the life out of him. So like some of the other workers are just zombies that do its bidding. And then uh, Mulder actually sees that it actually is a giant cockroach, and he starts going nuts. <laughs> I've seen every episode of the X Files. I can't believe I can't remember that I one. I think it was maybe in the seventh season, sixth or seventh season, something All like right. that. that. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, he's just sucking the life out of his employees as a giant cockroach. You know, that's that's just corporate America. <laughs> yeah, man, that's Pretty capitalism. Much. What are you going to do? <laughs> Well, Jason, thank you so much. I mean, this has been awesome to finally talk to you. What, uh, what's next for you, and where can people uh, get this book, American Monsters? Well, um, you can get it from my website. Uh, it's jasonoffit.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-O-F-F-U-T-T.com. Uh, uh, I've got links to all my books on my website, or uh, you can go to um, my publisher, Llewellyn uh, Worldwide. L-L-E-W-E-L-L-Y-N, worldwide, uh, or just Amazon. Everything's, everything I've, I've written is on Amazon. I've got uh, three, no, I've got four more books on, uh, on the paranormal and a few humor books, a couple zombie novels. So, uh, yeah, have oh, fun. Nice. Are, are, you, are you writing anything else now? Are you uh, another book coming out? Uh, well, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm working on uh, Chasing Canada's Monsters. Okay. Right now, uh, I'm also I kind of put that in the back burner for right now because a novel that I wrote um, in the fall um, is under one of the last revisions, so I'm, I need to get that out to a publisher pretty soon. Okay. Well, excellent, you guys. Is there anything that you wanted to add, or? Uh, thanks for coming on. This has been a blast for me. I love these kind of episodes yeah. personally. I'm really big into the the cryptozoology stuff and the um the more bizarre out there ones the better. Uh so this, this has just been a delight for me. Yeah, that was cool. We kind of went on a, a crypto tour there of the United States. Yeah. Yeah, I love monsters. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah. Giant cockroaches and all. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, stay on the line for us, Jason. We're going to close out this section, and we'll be back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal.
Bring us in, Rob. Bring us back. That was awesome. Giant cockroaches and black dog man kids. and black eyed kids and everything. So you never heard of the Michigan merman? <laughs> no. Or merfolk? I haven't. Now I got to watch all these YouTube videos. Don't assume it's gender, Adam. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Merf, mer people. Mer people. Thank you. Mer people. They. Uh, you saw a pillow of those videos. I don't know, man. Some of those videos don't look too. Um, I, I don't know if those are real. I'm just going to put that to you. I haven't watched them yet. Don't spoil it. All right. You're going to go hunt. You Next time you go, <laughs> go, go, go visit your mom and dad, you're going to. Say, hey, let's go hunt the the Michigan Murr people. Oh, hell yeah. Catch and release them. <laughs> catch and release. No, catch and profit. <laughs> I'm stuffing that thing. Sergio, anything? Uh, did she, you were kind of, we were talking about the Giants. You kind of started shaking your head a little bit. I know we've been kind of getting into this. Oh, yeah, it's been show. in Tennessee, too. And the red yeah. hair is usually from oxidization. Yeah. What's uh that we were talking about? Like, do you think that that's part of the whole? What is it? Uh, you've been studying about the antiquarianism. antiquarianism. Yeah, it. Yeah, it was kind of like a pseudo archaeology. Yeah, and then there were some like mummies that were kind of fabricated, and I don't know. You know, it was profitable to have something like that. You could put it on display, right? And charge, you know, everyone to come look at it. So I guess this Kentucky, there was a Kentucky mummy that really started the craze and then everyone started trying to find giants and pygmies and yeah. So yeah, a little skeptical of that, but, uh, the other stuff that's more weird and maybe non-physical is I find more interesting. Yes. I was saying, I agree. I, I don't know that I buy into any kind of breeding population of any kind of creature that, could be out there for for me it's more likely um either genetic memory or mm-hmm. um folklore mixed with genetic memory or um some kind of mass hysteria or just a combination of all of those things because we did used to live <laughs> it was only 10 15,000 years ago we did live alongside lots of other different hominids we were fighting for um our survival we were we were trying to to out, outdo them as far as you know, survival goes. So especially any of the upright hominid dog man even could fit into that kind of thing. Bigfoot definitely. You know what I was thinking about? I saw a video of a bear walking around on its hind legs because it yeah, was I've seen a couple of those. It had an injury yeah. on so, its front. Yeah. So like yeah. would a dog wa- try to walk around like that if like well, they had a injured front leg? I can't remember what it was. It was the big story. It was in, in um France. Um, it was a dog-like creature. You know what I'm talking about? Back in the day, I can't remember. Are you talking about the Beast of Gavadon? Maybe. Is it one of the, was it in the 18th century? <laughs> yes. That might be what you're And talking. it was very popular at the time to have exotic pets as well. Yes. So a lot of the theories are that it was either a, it wasn't a dog, it was either a hyena, or what more fits the description of a dog-like face, but with more human-like characteristics as a baboon. People then didn't know what a baboon was. Yeah, if you don't know what that is, you you're you see a baboon, you think, oh, it's like it's like a little werewolf person. Yeah, you know, like it, seriously, look at one. It's because got, you it's got, got the got long a canine snout. snout. Yeah, it's got all that. Right. And I mean, that could happen here too. Exotic pets were big here too in the 1800s. Yeah. Well, that would you know, say that there's a a population somehow that's out there that's still. Um, well, most extant. of those sightings were. Yeah. 
50 to 100 years ago. I'm not saying there's a breeding population, but it could have been a loose baboon or two just running around. Same thing with the skunk ape. There's been there's been orangutans caught on trail cams in Florida. I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen the pic the picture of that. Yeah, I mean that's that's, that's entirely a, that's possible. an orangutan living yeah. out in the wilderness right. in Florida. If somebody had an exotic pet, if you came across an orangutan in Florida, or some kind of illegal swamp, trade in this animal, and it smells like crap, yeah. you're going to call it a skunk ape. You know, right? Yeah, it's covered right. in moss. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's all wet and gross and like swamp thing. See, I don't, I don't doubt that there could be this um, population that's. That, maybe these small populations of these animals that could be out there. It's when you get to the weirder material that you say there's more right. going on here. Or the what? unique cases, the very unique cases. Yeah, like that's obviously exactly. not, um, that's not a species. That's not a, that's not something that fits into the, the normal tree of life, you know? So I went to expedition Bigfoot. Oh, how was the, that? Over this weekend which was all last weekend, which was all part of... I'm pretending to be like, I don't know. You like, brought me a t-shirt. Yes, though. I bought you a shirt. Serafiel <laughs> has a shirt as well. Uh, the Okay, so this was all part of the Paramania festivities, which is something that's done every year. They call it an unconference. And uh, I was there with Joshua Cutchin, who this year was hosting it. And... Uh, Greg Bishop was around, Tim Banal, a few other people that I got to meet that were some really cool, interesting people. Uh, So we went on Saturday, we were at Expedition Bigfoot in Blue Ridge, Georgia, which was an interesting little place. Just this museum totally dedicated to Bigfoot. You would have loved it, Rob. Is it like the old guy from Harry and the Henderson's? Remember his little shop? Where's no, like, where he's like, you, you much, want Bigfoot hair? I get you Bigfoot hair all day. Yeah, this was much larger. They did, as I mentioned before, have Bigfoot shit. Um, they it, it was extremely long. Uh, there were some original casts that were there. Uh, Dan Maslach actually came and met me up there, and cool. uh, we talked. He told us some interesting stories. I want to get Dan back on the show to talk about some of that because some of the stuff he told me was. Really, really interesting. Um, and what we did, the we actually did some of the presentations over there. So, like, Greg went up and gave a presentation. Josh Wren was also there at uh, Paramania, too. And Josh did his presentation about uh, where the footprints end, which is going to be the title of his and Tim, Timothy Renner's new book. Nice. So They're almost done with that, aren't they? Uh I think they're shooting for the fall, oh. and Josh isn't sure whether it's going to be a a single book or two, because there's just a lot in it. And I really think that this book is going to put together a lot of pieces that uh, it's going to make a lot of cryptozoologists mad because they're really challenging the physical Bigfoot uh, paradigm. Where does the poop come from? Yeah, where yeah, where does the poop come from? It's like that cosmic alchemy we always talk about. Uh huh. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it yep so uh we did that and uh josh actually got a a a resounding approval from the owner of expedition bigfoot when he went up there and i thought at first he was going to lay into josh for saying that 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 it was not physically real because a lot of what josh 
talked about was how uh, the Bigfoot and poltergeists can be similar, like this, the, some of the phenomenon. And but uh, he actually said that there's so much more going on. He said there in Blue Ridge, in that area, this is in North Georgia, that they he has had so many people tell him that they have seen Bigfoot and had weird experiences uh, revolving around it. And so there's much more going on to that phenomenon. And I think, you know, too, with that is the Bigfoot stuff is so popular now. Like, I don't know when it started, that started becoming so, so popular. TV. And now more and more people are seeing it. So it's like, is it the fact that now people are more willing to come out and say, yeah, I've seen it? Or is it this same kind of Tulpa effect that we just talked about where now it's in, it's in the culture, it's in people's minds. And so now people start to see it and it manifests. I tend to lean more that way. I do too. I mean, there's just, there's not a physical evidence to justify a physical thing. Yeah. And dog man is even more, I think impossible. A ton of eyewitness stuff, a ton of really believable stories people that seem very sincere you know i mean that stuff is just there, there's just thousands thousands of cases but well, i mean someone would have had a shot one that's the whole argument you know someone would have shot one but then again i guess there's people who think that there's a massive cover-up yeah or, or one piece of hair that has dna evidence that's all it would take right exactly um we also on Saturday night when we got back, we all hung out in the lobby of the La Quinta Inn in Alpharetta, Georgia. Got pretty drunk. And then we went upstairs to Ren's room and we did a uh angel summoning <laughs> ritual. Which was extremely interesting experience. So Ren took a piece of paper and wrote this sigil with all like the angels names on it. I guess there's seven angels and uh, you're supposed to ask a request for the angel to help you with something. And so actually uh, Greg Bishop actually asked for a request for help with something. And so he was kind of the center of it while Ren gave the, into the, the kind of, I don't, would you call it an incantation? I mean, what would you call Enochian, it? Enochian, isn't it? Yeah. It's some, yeah, it was kind of like Enochian language. I think there was some Latin in there, but well, you know, he's, Ren's based in OTO. He's based in the Thelema stuff. And this is the first time that I've had, an, I've done anything like this. So I was a little trepidatious about it. Of course, I was a little drunk too. So I really... Didn't really care. But, <laughs> you were trepidatious the next day. Yeah, but I, but well, actually, I, I'm going to get to that because uh, when we first started doing it, all of a sudden the rain it starts raining and like thundering and lightning as we're doing it, and I have to imagine what the fuck the sorry, what the what the people in the next room. Yeah, don't worry, you don't have to bleep that out. I like bleeping stuff out. You know, so the. Uh, the people in the next room were thinking at like two thirty in the morning when you're hearing like Ren chanting and it's like well, thundering. It's <laughs> they were yeah. probably freaking their shit. 
So, okay, so we get all in this circle, and Ren says some things and whatever the language that is, and we all have to, you know, make these circles. Like that scene in the first Child's Play where he's trying to, like, take over the kid's body and the storm clouds are gathering above the tower. I guess it was something like that. (laughs) That's what what I'm picturing. You all had to trace the circle? No, no. He had had the circle. He had a piece. He had, like, a... uh, like a bowl on the circle and you had to give an offering, which we had, I think some George Dickel left over. Hell yeah. So you poured some George Dickel into, in, into the offering and we were, we were <laughs> calling on the angel Gabriel. And as we're doing this, we're, you gave him George yeah, Dickel. Yeah. I, well, that's all we had available. Okay. So we're, 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 Sorry, I'm a whiskey we stop, <laughs> we rotate. Ren says some more stuff. We stop, we rotate. And the whole time I'm watching Josh, and he's like at this point drunk, and he's just like swaying, and, and Tim Banal is like nudging me, he's just like pointing at him, so you know, like we're we're really thinking at any time he's just going to like fall over the table <laughs> and, and break this circle, and so we do this, uh, you know, uh, so Greg is still the center of it because he's the one asking the question for the for the help, and then. Uh, it ends and, uh, he basically does this like binding thing that kind of like tells the angel to go essentially. And that was it. And from my perspective, I don't know what everybody else felt, but from my perspective, I could, you could feel like this certain kind of power in the room that was very palpable, but I can't really say that there was like a presence there. Sure. I could almost feel just like it was our collective, like the the nine or ten of us that were surround that were our collective energy as a group was that's, producing that. Yeah, that's this, that's that it why was psychological I, in some ways. That's why I lean more towards the um the whole chaos magic thing. The the older I get is because I think that yeah, there's definitely a power in ritual and there's a power in belief, but I don't think that power necessarily exists in any one particular uh realm of like a belief system you know i think that it's all inherent in us to begin with and just getting people together i don't think the ritual itself matters other than it's the more you put into it the more believable it is more energy everybody uh kind of donates to it the more the more power it has yeah you know language aside words aside that's how it feels. Whatever, me. none of the, all of that stuff aside, like I think that all of that stuff is just a focus for for that energy. Yeah, that's how it felt to me too. And but um, two things that I felt about it that um, like oddly enough to me, like the chanting and all that kind of stuff, it kind of puts you in this trance. And I've had that same kind of experience at like a Greek Orthodox church ceremony. Mm-hmm. It felt very similar. It gets you into that. It kind of gets you into this kind of trance like state almost. And when it was done for me, like I felt energized, like it energized me, you know, and you were the focus of, no, I wasn't the oh, focus. Okay. I wasn't even the focus. I was just part of it. Okay. And it was, you know, well, Greg was the one supplicating, I guess, right. or asking the question of the angel. But uh, the, it was, uh, I felt like 
oh man, it's like, it's just like wow. I mean, it was an interesting feeling. And this was after a long day. It's about two thirty in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, and I felt like wow. I mean, this is. You know, so it was, it was interesting. I never would have said six, seven years ago that I would be doing it a cult ritual. But <laughs> Do, I was a part of it. Do you know what Greg asked for? I'm not asking you to share it. I'm just wondering. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you later. Okay. Yeah. I know what he asked for, but yeah, but that's kind of personal to him. So yeah, I'm not gonna, I, I figured it was. Yeah. What uh, were some of the other reactions from the other guys? I think a couple of them it felt like, uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I think a couple of them were kind of, one or two of them were moved by it. They had, you had different varying kind of reactions between each, from person to person. Uh, some may didn't even know, even know what they were getting into, you know. So I mean, it was yeah, it was pretty fascinating. It was a good time. Cool, it's a good time, and hopefully going to be going back to Paramania next year. But there may be some interesting things happening with that, possibly. So, cool. all right. Well, that's it, um, Rob. Tell everybody about Patreon. We should, I'm thinking, we'll have a Patreon episode up by the yeah. time this airs. So Nice. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal. There's different tiers on there. We've got lots of bonus episodes, tons of them at this point. It's always growing. We're always adding more to it. Um, you can subscribe to the different tiers. We've got various things going on there. Uh, if you don't want to subscribe to anything, but you want to help the show, you can do a one-time donation on our website at www.conspiranormal.com, which is back up and running. And if you want to help the show, but you don't want to spend money doing a, a, a nice five-star review or just sharing us with your friends or even just email, you know, or Facebook comments, we, we love all that stuff. So, yeah. Leave us, yeah, definitely leave the iTunes comments. We've gotten few and far between lately. So, all right, guys, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to be back next time with another guest. Uh, we'll be back in Studio B, but, uh, you know, the quality will still be the same. That's right, because Surfail's a badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, join us next time on Conspiranormal. Nokian Magic. What's that?
how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.